Father, open your word from the Apostle Paul to us that we might see how to conduct ourselves, particularly over the next few weeks, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Well, what is a Christian? Um, here's what the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is a Christian, someone who believes in Jesus, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You're a new creation. All this, this new creation, so point one, you're a new creation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. God acted to make us his friends and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is a Christian? It's someone who's a new creation, who's become friends now with God at God's initiative and now has a responsibility, this service or ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, in the Messiah, not counting people's sins against them. So it's someone who's been forgiven for their rejection of God. And he has committed to these people the message of reconciliation. So you see, what is a Christian? It's someone who's it's a new creation from God to be reconciled with God, forgiveness of sins, and given a responsibility, this message of reconciliation. What is a Christian? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you therefore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christ's ambassadors. We're in a series of talks on the book of 1 Thessalonians, the start of it, which I've titled The Family of God. We see this real sense of belonging and Paul's love for the church. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He went over to what we call today northern Greece. He preached there and shared the message of Jesus and there was what we might call revival. A new church started. A new family came into being, the family of God in this Roman Greek town. Uh, people who became ambassadors of Christ. So in chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Ikea, your faith in God has become known everywhere. This church, they're ambassadors. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it because you're already sharing the message yourselves. Ambassadors for Christ. See, these people in Thessalonica, this big town, they weren't, they weren't apostles like Paul was. They, they weren't missionaries sent by God to other places as Paul was. They were staying at home. But they were all ambassadors, representing the kingdom of God, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're an ambassador, if you're an ambassador, people will inevitably draw their judgments on yourself as a character and on who you represent. Roger Federer, good character, maybe I should shop at Uniqlo, but last time I went there, I didn't like the clothes. You're an ambassador. People will draw their judgments. Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they went to this city of Thessalonica, they were ambassadors and people started to draw their judgments. They represented God's kingdom. How should I respond? How effective were they as ambassadors and how effective are we as ambassadors of Jesus? Well, before I share their story, I'd like to share with you a satirical, fictional account of some people who are ambassadors 
for Christ. It's, a, it's an article found in, from the satirical website The Onion and it's about the band Enter the Kingdom. Enter the Kingdom formed in a Bible study at a local church. These guys, they wrote their own songs such as Glorious Salvation and um, I better get my sheet out to remember. I remember Glorious Salvation, great one, that one. And uh, I can't see them. Anyway, they wrote a few songs with those sorts of names, like we sing here in church. And they got a gig at Pat's Tavern. Now, they're in the Midwest of the USA. And they got a gig at the local country tavern. You beauty. They turned up and they start the gig. They said after their gig at Pat's Tavern, as they were interviewed by local reporters, because it was quite an event, they told reporters on Friday that they knew exactly how Jesus felt when he was persecuted. The fact that Jesus wasn't very popular in his day or that people hated him for spreading a different kind of message or even ridicule and humiliation that he was forced to endure, it became so clear to us on that Friday night at Pat's Tavern especially when the crowd started chucking food at our heads. But they continued with their 45-minute set. Despite the widespread scepticism they encountered after first taking the stage, despite the cries for physical torture that filled the local tavern by the end of the night, Kevin Clark, the bass player, said, Just like Christ, we did not retaliate for their cruel actions. Not even the whole, get off the stage, you losers. Not even when that really got going. We stuck there. We played on. They were jealous, they said, of punishing us for our righteousness because they couldn't face the power and truth of our songs. Here's the songs, Light of the Lord and the Exalted, particularly during glorious salvation as the pies rained upon them. According to the band members, a number of devotees from all walks of life were quite moved by the performance. Some in attendance told reporters that they would be sure to attend every future Enter the Kingdom show. Dude, that was the most fun I've had in a long time, said Barry Rouse, 28. I can't wait to see those losers again. I'm going to all their lame shows. (laughs) He said... Enter the kingdom, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Were they effective ambassadors? It's satirical, it's fictional. Is it so far from the truth? That's how satire works. You run the edge of the truth. 1 Thessalonians, how did Paul and Silas, how did they represent Jesus as they went to Thessalonica? See, ambassadors represent a kingdom or a brand. They represent its rule, its glory. And to do that, you need words. There's a quote that's often been wrongly attributed to Francis of Assisi. You've probably heard it. Proclaim the gospel. If necessary, use words. Now, I I get the sentiment behind that. There is more to sharing the universal reign of God in Christ Jesus than just talking or writing. 
Words alone do not have power. In fact, in chapter 1 of our letter, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So, yes, you need more than words, but the quote is wrong in what it implies because you cannot proclaim the gospel without words. The gospel is good news. It's a message. Something has happened. Something has been done. God has acted. So news is not abstract. News is not... News is not a picture, an abstract picture on the wall where you say, it's really making me feel this and that and it, it resonates with me like this. No, no, news is news. It has to be spoken and put into words. Tell your neighbours that you'll be on holidays for three weeks and ask them if they can put out the garbage bins. If necessary, use words. You, you know, even if you did, did, you know, did mimes, even as they receive the mimes, they're transforming that into words. Take out the garbage, you'll be away for three weeks. Tell your friends that you've had a baby boy named Lucas Caleb Chow. If necessary, use words. The gospel is news. It tells us what God has done through Jesus' death and resurrection. The gospel is not about what we do, but what has happened in the past, about events with far-reaching consequences. Jesus was born. He grew. He lived. He promised. He preached. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He's exalted on high. It's news. What happened when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica? Chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, you know that our visit to you was not without results. In other words, it wasn't in vain. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to speak to you, to tell you the gospel. In the face of strong opposition, we had the courage in God to speak to you the gospel of God in another more literal way of saying that. In Philippi, just near Thessalonica, they were arrested, beaten, imprisoned, escaped and then kicked out of the city. They had to run. They arrive in this nearby city called Thessalonica and here we go again. Opposition starts. But Paul says, no, no, we had courage in God to continue to speak. You know, one of the big things at the moment is all this talk about fake news. Fake news, the left says fake news, the right says fake news. And every time I get a bit of an inside story on, on something, everything I think, I think I know a little bit about this, I can't help thinking they're all right. Can you trust the news? It seems so distorted, depending upon the perspective or the agenda of the people proclaiming the news. It's terrible when you, cannot, when you lose confidence in news. So you cannot distort this news of the gospel. It's not to be messed with, these words. 
Because these are God's words, these are God's events. And so Paul refused to distort them. He says, he says to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We're not trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with this news, this good news, this gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. We're taking this news message, these word, this word message, seriously as you know. And it is not easy to proclaim news when people want to disbelieve and reject that news. When they actually want to tell you that you're wicked because of it. That's hard. When they want to attack you. It's not easy to be an ambassador in a hostile country. Challenging human rights. Challenging corruption. Whatever it is. You need to be courageous. And we need to be like Paul. Courageous with this news. And faithful. Not distorting it for convenience. We will be derided. We will, our news, the news of the gospel does cause offence. It upsets people. It's much easier to proclaim the gospel without words. It's just impossible. Ambassadors require courage in God to speak with faithfulness. We are in a war zone. Spiritual warfare. The world resists this message. And what we need is not confidence. And I've, I hear this in myself and I hear it from others. I just don't feel confident. You know, I don't know all the answers. I, I'm not good at that sort of thing. I just don't feel confident. You, know, you don't really need confidence. You need courage from God. Do you feel, as I so often do, tempted to distort and water down and hide the gospel? This news about Jesus. Are you more concerned with pleasing men and women than God? Than being faithful? If so, you need to ask the Lord, pray to the Lord that you'd be faithful as an ambassador. That you would fulfill your calling and your responsibility. That you would have courage to speak the truth in love. Enter the kingdom had courage, though, didn't they? You know, hard to go to Pat's Tavern on a Friday night and sing your songs, your worship songs. And they were rejected. They were spurned. But I have to wonder with enter the kingdom, did anyone actually hear their words? Or did they just realise we've got a lame bunch of losers from the local church coming and singing their stupid songs to us on our Friday night? at Pat's Tavern. And frankly, they're not very good. And then they justify themselves, oh, it's the suffering of for following Jesus. Why would you listen? Why would you repent? There's no life connection. Just these guys from this local church. Losers. Even, and I know the Israel flower thing, he was been terribly treated. But even his Instagram post, it was quite confronting. It was just out there online. 
there was no life, there was no connection. It took courage for him to post that up and he's certainly been courageous since in the decisions he's made. But it was just demand. There was word there, but see, I think there's something missing in those two examples. And that is life. Ambassadors of Christ share both word and life. Paul and his friends, they didn't hide anything from the Thessalonians. In fact, just listen to this language. Just get the words, the language. You, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously been suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. Down in verse 5. You know we never use flattery. Verse 9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. Verse 10, you are our witnesses. You've seen this. It's not just the Thessalonians. God also says, Paul, verse 5, you know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Verse 10, You are our witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous and blameless we were. Paul's ministry was public. It was out there. It was transparent. He can say in verse 3 to 6, The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people. We're just serving God who tests our hearts. And you know we never flattery. Nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not not from you or from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. We lived lives that were accountable firstly to God and open before all men. You can judge our motives by the way we behave, by the way we lived amongst you. We shared our lives with you. More than that, we were deeply committed to you. Verse 8, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, the words of God, but our lives as well. You see, relationships matter. Life is in relationships. As ambassadors of Christ, we need to share our lives just as we share the word of the gospel. And you'll all in some way be doing that over the next two weeks. Often with those who are dear to you. Often with those who are the most frustrating for you. But, but what about the evangelists, you might say, the Billy Grahams or the, or the Steve Chongs? They go and they give big talks at stadiums or events or, or at churches and people come to faith. They follow Jesus. They don't necessarily have a relationship, share their life, just a personality with words, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, 99% of the time, 99, perhaps even greater, when someone responds at one of those events to Jesus, it's because somebody else invited them. Somebody shared their life. 
And as they shared their life with that person, there was openness and transparency and care. As they shared the gospel, maybe in a clunky, ineffective way, as they had courage to tell them about Jesus in a hopeless way, somebody shared their life and said, will you come with me to hear Steve Chong, to hear the preacher? The evangelist was the packager of words and stories and appeal. But really... The real evangelist was that person sitting next to them feeling really nervous through the whole event. Judging everything negatively because it's like, this is my friend who's here to hear the gospel. That's the real evangelist. That's the real ambassador. That is the courageous Christian. The one sitting next to them. I've got this wonderful story from dear Gwen Tester. I wrote this up in the bulletin. I went and visited her and said, I need a story for the bulletin. She gave me this story. She was um, married to a Baptist pastor for, many, for, the best, for most of her life. She was a dear old soul. She's gone to be with the Lord. She writes, I wrote through her words, I look back on my happiest day in recent times. Why? We were able, after my husband Alan's many visits, to persuade after much prayer a professed atheist to come with us to the Billy Graham crusade at Randwick Racecourse. We took a cuppa in the boot of the car, as you did in those days, and then climbed to the top of the highest stand. Our friend sat between us and suddenly said, I'd love a smoke. We moved her to the end of the row and told her to go ahead. You were allowed to smoke at the Randwick Race Course in those days. And told her to go ahead. When Billy started to speak, she never took her eyes off him. When he made an appeal, she almost, without saying a word, ran to respond. As a result, her husband divorced her and moved to Queensland. Years later, he returned after coming to know the Lord himself and they remarried in a registry office with their two daughters as witnesses. Today she's one of the happiest people I know and one of the best personal workers in her church, Church of Christ in a difficult area. Good story of a great ambassador. Two great ambassadors. Gwen and Alan Tester. We need people to go to Eastwood to share their lives with new people. Because the church in Eastwood is not going to grow and is not going to reach out to the diaspora in Eastwood without people who are willing to share their lives. We don't need people who will go and sit on pews and sing songs. We need people who will share their lives, who love others, who are prepared to cross boundaries. Who are you sharing your life with and the gospel with? Where's the intersection? This year, Pano Life is a food frenzy. Food frenzy because we just need another thing. We did oceans, we did pirates, we did all this. We need another one. Food frenzy. Well, actually, not exactly because food's actually at the centre of sharing your life with somebody. You can sit down and eyeball them and share a meal together. Hospitality. We're going to be looking at the stories, just three stories of Jesus and how central they are as he shares hope with him sharing a meal with people. We're going to have a series at the start of next year, just two talks on hospitality. We need you to share your life so that people get a greater sense of belonging.
Do we only ever hang out with other believers in Jesus? Do we, ever go, do we never go to the Thessalonians, as Paul says here, and with the help of our God, dare to tell you his gospel in, the, in spite of facing potential great opposition? Do we never do that? Do we wrap our lives like in this Christian bubble so we don't get hurt like Paul got hurt and Timothy got hurt and had to pay price and cost? Are we like enter the kingdom? Very secure in their Bible study and their loving church. Writing, writing and practicing the songs in the church hall until one day they decide we've got a gig at, Patrick's, at, at Pat's Tavern. We're going to go on mission for Jesus in Pat's Tavern. And we're going to sing light of the world and glorious salvation despite what comes our way. But they never got out of their stupid Christian bubble. Imagine if they were friends with the regulars at Pat's Tavern. And then they got up and did light of the world and glorious salvation. Maybe someone would have listened and not thrown eggs at them. But they just stayed in their little bubble and then went on mission in their bubble and got rejected in their bubble. Hallelujah! We need to make friends with people who don't know Jesus. We need to invite them into our lives. We need to sit on swings with them. And share our crap as they share their crap with us and realise we're all struggling, but I've got hope and I'm in the fight. For righteousness and peace and truth and the glory of God's creation. We need to be effective ambassadors. And so... We need not just life, but deeds, works. Some of us are good at sharing our lives. I know I've often been in that space. I quite enjoy it, actually. I love getting out of the bubble. I actually really do. In some ways, I'm happier with non-Christians than with Christians. But I can't say I'm always being faithful as an ambassador. Sometimes I just conform. And I am a poor representation when I do that of God's kingdom and glory. And I face very little opposition. They all love me. But I'm very ineffective as an ambassador. Look again at Paul and his companions. Everything they do embodies the gospel. Verse 6. We're not looking for praise from people, not even from you, not from anybody. We're not looking for praise. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. I could have said, listen, you've got to listen to me. I need to be, I'm someone special. They didn't do things for their benefits. They did things for the people they were serving in Jesus. For the Thessalonians, as they went there, they sacrificed. Yes, they could have expected special treatment, but Paul set it all aside. Paul says, instead, we were like young children amongst you. We were humble. Not just young children, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, like Ange does with Izzy, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. A mother gives up so much. A mother humbles herself daily to serve longing for her child to grow into maturity, and it costs a lot. 
Paul says, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day so that we weren't a burden to anyone while we preached, here's the word thing again, the gospel of God to you. We served you. Paul was a tent maker. He made tents like this. Oh, a tent, it's finished. Goes to these towns and works to pay his own wage as a tent maker. While he shares the gospel, so he's no burden. I can't help thinking of our dear friends, Jeff and Beth in Central Asia, who are goat farmers. They used to be water people under God. They didn't get much success there, but now they're goat farmers and dairy people. While they share the gospel of God, and they love those people so deeply. You hear them talk about the people they know, and or if you've met them as Pete and Jade and I have done, you know how deeply they love the people they're sharing the gospel of God with. But they're just goat farmers sacrificing for Jesus and his kingdom. So committed is Paul that he can say this, you're our witnesses and so is God. Oops, come on. Of how holy, righteous and blameless we were amongst you who believed. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Like, like a child, like a mother, like a father longing for maturity, setting an example that they too may work in a manner worthy of the Lord. Indeed, in action. You see, what we do matters. And when we're looking for ambassadors, we need people who will share the kingdom and represent the kingdom through word, absolutely necessary, through life, and not lives of isolation or taking, but life of deed and giving and sacrifice. Word and life and deed. So let me ask those of you who believe, who's had a big impact on you believing that Jesus is Lord? I don't know, be, there's a whole pile of different stories here this morning, but I can tell you there, there's a lot of commonality. However it happens, someone shared their life with you. Someone whose deeds were consistent with the word of the gospel they proclaimed. They represented Jesus, his kingdom and his glory. And they professed it and they represented it. That's the story of this room for those who follow Jesus. It's the way it works. It's the way God works. He's calling his people through his faithful ambassadors. And if it worked that way for you, well, guess what? God's going to use you as his ambassador and work that way through you. That's what his call is that you would pass it on. For whom are you a mother? Who, who, who are you caring for and nurturing and giving yourself for? For whom are you a father that you're encouraging and challenging? For whom are you laboring in love? Who are you sharing your life with? Who are you sharing meals with in transparency and humility? Who are you being hospitable to? Who are you holding forth the word of life in the gospel? Who could you say, for whom could you say, I know, who, who could say about you that I know how holy, righteous and blameless you've been? 
even as you've stared with me, shared with me the good news of Jesus, even as I've made fun of you, even as I've said, shut up, I don't want to talk about that again. Or have you been stuck in the bubble? Maybe going on mission in the bubble. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, these three remain. Word and life and deed. They are inseparable as we seek to alert people to the universal reign of God, the Creator, in Christ Jesus. As Christmas is nigh upon us, they are inseparable, word and life and deed. In telling people about the child that was born in a manger in Bethlehem who is the saviour of the world. Word and life indeed. The carols won't get anyone there. The decorations, the best Christmas service will not get anybody there. They need ambassadors to represent the kingdom in word and life indeed. Amen.